Hey everyone, it's Brad here. Before we get into the show, I just wanted to take a minute and let you guys know about our coaching program that we run here at Macros Inc. We believe that every person on the planet deserves to live their healthiest and their best life. A qualified nutrition coach and personal trainer can be the key to living that life. At Macros Inc., we provide fully customized one-on-one nutrition and online personal training. That's changed the lives of over 7,000 people and counting. We offer a two-week free trial for our nutrition coaching, and you can get started risk-free today. Just go to macrosinc.net slash services and sign up. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the show. It is a Tuesday here. You guys are probably getting this so oh, about an hour after I record it. Uh, so very excited to have you guys here. I am Brad Dieter. I am the Chief Operating Officer here at Macros Inc., a nutrition and fitness coaching company. And this is My Take, a podcast that discusses current events in nutrition, the business side of the health and fitness industry, and a little bit of everything in between. Uh, so let's dive into it. So today, our nutrition insights, we're going to talk a little bit about high-fat diets. So, gosh, probably for the last like 10 years or so, uh, high-fat diets or low-carb high-fat diets have become very popular for weight loss and very strangely, even uh, athletic performance. And maybe we'll touch a little more on the athletic performance side later. Um, but for, t- for today, we're going to talk more about the, uh, the weight loss side of things. So here's kind of some of the myths that we've heard, right? One of them is that uh, eating fat makes you burn more fat. Uh, we have got eight of these myths that we're going to go through, and I'm going to kind of start with that one. So this one's actually true, right? If you eat more fat, you burn more fat because your body burns what you, what you eat, right? So if you eat more carbohydrates, you burn more carbohydrates. If you eat more fat, you burn more fat. But the thing that's important is the amount of fat you burn, the total amount doesn't really matter. It's how much are you burning relative to how much you're taking in. So let's say you're normally burning 50 units of fat, right, on a given day. And now let's say you consume 100 units of fat in a day. If you're burning 60, you're burning more than you were before, but you're still netting 40, right? So it doesn't really matter that eating more fat in your diet makes you oxidize more fat. It's what is the relative amount, like relative to how much you're taking in. So that is actually true. Eating fat makes you burn more fat, but it doesn't really matter because it's more of the, the relative amount, right? Are you in a deficit or are you in a surplus? And how much does eating that fat push you towards one direction or the other? Uh, the next one is high-fat diets make you burn more calories. That's, that's one claim that's made. Now, if you actually look at the scientific literature, the answer to this is pretty much no, right? It, eating high-fat diets do not make you burn more calories. We've done tons of study that, studies on this. It just isn't true. Um, there have been some studies that show maybe high-fat, low-carb diets increase your total energy expenditure, but those have a ton of like methodology problems in how they're measuring it, and there's just no good, clear signal that that's true. Um, so high-fat diets don't really make you burn more calories. Another one is that if you go high-fat enough to where you're in a ketogenic state, that you burn more fat and that this offers a metabolic advantage for weight loss. This is also fundamentally not accurate, right? We've done studies. We've done short-term studies. We've done long-term studies. We've looked at fat oxidation. We've looked at weight loss. Um, we've looked at metabolic rates. And there just doesn't appear to be any good evidence that that's the case. Now, 
could there be a very minor metabolic advantage, maybe 50 calories, maybe 100 calories a day? It's possible, but the data doesn't seem to support that. And even more importantly, that amount isn't going to translate into any weight loss that we've seen. Uh, the next one is, we've heard this a lot, is fat's actually not stored very easily and carbohydrates are stored more easily than fat. So if you overconsume on carbohydrates, it gets turned into fat and it gets stored more than if you just consume fat. This is also not true at all, right? Um, when we look at data, there's the, the order of like what is stored as fat most easily is this. Fat is stored with, I think it's somewhere like 96 to 98% um, efficiency. Carbohydrates are closer to like 85 to 90% efficiency and fats are like, I don't know, 60 to 80% efficiency. I have a table. I'll have to look up the exact numbers, but it's, it's substantially less. Um, when you look at like exactly what is stored more efficiently, fats are stored the most efficiently. Carbohydrates are stored the second most efficiently. And then protein is not stored very efficiently at all. It takes a lot of metabolic work to prepare proteins to be stored as fat. Uh, the next one is, this, this is one I heard probably 20 years ago when I was reading Men's Health, is that when you eat less, or you eat less when you consume high-fat meals, right? So the idea is fat is more satiating, um, and so you actually eat less. And or if like, I think what I read way back in the day was like, hey, if you eat a handful of nuts before dinner, the fat will make you feel full and you won't eat as much at dinner. Um, this actually isn't true. So the more fat in your diet you consume, the more calories in a day you consume. And it's not a small amount. It's like 20, 30, 40% more calories. And if you consume fat before a meal, it actually doesn't make you consume less at the meal. Your total calories from that snack plus your meal or more than if you didn't eat fat, like a high-fat snack before the meal. Uh, the next one is, and this is kind of the last one because I wrapped two into one, is fat is more satiating than carbohydrates, right? This is one of the common things that we heard for several years while uh, low-carb, high-fat diets were very popular is that, oh, yeah, if you eat a high-fat diet, you're more satiated. This is actually not accurate. So if you look at satiety indexes where they take foods and people consume these foods and they rate how satiating they are, uh, high-fat foods are not more satiating than a high-carbohydrate food, right? If you look at like something like peanut butter versus like a potato, right? That's, I'd say those are like mostly fat foods versus mostly carbohydrate foods. Uh, the, the potato is substantially more satiating, right? In fact, a white potato is one of the most satiating foods there is. And that has to do with volume and fiber and things like that in a potato. But on par, it goes protein, carbohydrates, fats in terms of what's the most to least satiating. So that's a little bit about high-fat diets, and that's kind of our nutrition insight. Uh, business insights. So one of the interesting things is, you know, about any business, whether it's a nutrition business, it's a product business, it's another service business, is the lifeblood of a business is sales, right? If you can't bring in revenue and you can't generate clients, you have no customers. And so selling, it's the lifeblood. It's also the hardest part of any business. And the reason is selling is really more of an art than a science. Um, you know, we know a lot about human behavior, but really selling is definitely an art and it's something you have to train over time. And oftentimes, especially in our industry, um, in the service that we sell is the hardest part is that 
you're often trying to get people to see self-imposed roadblocks that they put in front of themselves um, and the narratives and the stories they tell themselves, right? So when you want somebody to sign up for coaching and you talk to them, it's just really interesting to hear the stories that people will tell themselves and then tell you about themselves. And a big part of the art of sales, especially in this industry, is you have to find ways to show them that like their narrative isn't real um, and that they're putting a lot of self-imposed roadblocks. But you also have to still acknowledge that the way they feel is valid. And that, you know, like, hey, if they're like, hey, financially, it's too much of a commitment, right? You have to acknowledge like, hey, I, I get this is a big financial commitment. But I also know that like, hey, as an adult, like you can probably find ways to save 100 bucks a month to afford coaching, right? You can cancel your cable for six months or you can, you know, buy different groceries or like there's always ways to find that, right? Another one is like people say, hey, I don't have the time for coaching. Well, there's what, how many hours in a week? Like 160 or 170 hours in a week. You can probably find an hour and a half a week to do a check-in with your coach, right? There's always ways to find that, but you have to also connect with people and be like, Hey, I get it. Like, I understand why you feel this way. Let me show you some ways around those feelings. So that's kind of the business inside is how do you sell to people? And how do you sell in like a very empathetic, understanding way? And how do you get it to where once somebody signs up for whatever service it is, like in our case, it's coaching, is how do you get it to where as soon as they sign up, they don't feel regret. They don't feel, they feel nothing but like excited and that they're part of the family. Um, what I'm learning today. So this is something I've been thinking about for a while, and I think I'm going to make a post in the Facebook group about it today. But one of the interesting things is we often wear suffering as kind of a badge on our shoulder, right? And the interesting thing is that doesn't actually make your life any better. And I think about myself as a good example of this, right? Is I will say like my workload is so much and I don't sleep much um, and my workouts were so hard and I beat myself up. And I'll use that as like, I can suffer more than you. <laughs> and that I kind of use it as a shield to like make me better than people, right? Um, and I think about like, if, if I sit down with some old friends and I like kind of tell, uh, you know, stories of back in the day when we would have basketball practice or we would do some crazy things. And we always have this like one-upsmanship of suffering. Oh, you had to run six miles? Well, I had to run 12 miles. Well, I did this one thing that was really terrible. And if you ever notice, like when you get together with your, your friends is we often do this like one upsmanship of suffering, like who can, who suffered more in their life. And what's interesting about that to me is like, we all do that in every aspect, right? We always tell these stories to ourselves and to other people about like, Hey, how much we've suffered. And a lot of times, like we stake our identity on that. We use it as a shield against things. Um, you know, we, we try to make ourselves feel better than other people. But the interesting thing is, like, suffering doesn't make your life any better. Like, glorifying the suffering doesn't make your life any better. But we still do it, and I still do it. Like, today I'll probably do it. But how do we kind of shift our mindset and our culture to be geared towards where, like, hey, I'm going to glorify that you were able to relax this weekend. I'm going to glorify that you were able to take vacation. I'm going to glorify that you got some sleep and that you're in a good mental space and that, you know, you haven't had to do some horrible things the last week. Um, and how do we get to that place? That's interesting. So that's something that I'm, I don't know if it's learning today, but um, something I'm very going to try to be much more acutely aware of. 
On that note, uh, the daily win today is I've averaged eight hours of sleep in the last three days. So like uh, Saturday night, Sunday night, and last night, I went to bed super early and actually slept in until like 6 a.m., which I'm normally up at about 4, 4.30 most days. So that's been pretty crazy, um, and it's probably the most sleep I've gotten in 15 years. Now, it wasn't all sleep. Like I would wake up and I'd lay there for a bit and try to go back to bed, but I've tried to use 2021 to try to get into a normal person's amount of sleep, like eight hours, seven hours, maybe nine hours on the weekend if I can, and just just see how that goes. Um, I've beat myself up quite a bit over the last few years, which going back to the uh, wearing suffering as a badge on her shoulder. And that's kind of one of the things I'm trying to work on on that piece. Um, daily learning lesson. Today's is actually uh, pretty um, acute for me in terms of like I've had to make some decisions this week. And it's, it, here's, here's the lesson. I'll just kind of boil it up in a, an epitaph. If you aren't all in, you're probably all out. And what I mean by that is we all have a lot of stuff going on in our lives. And for many of us, like it doesn't bring a lot of joy or happiness. And so I'm going to start working on like, if I'm not all in on something, I'm probably all out. And I'm not going to do kind of halvesies ins and halvesies out anymore. I'm just going to either go all in or I'm going to go all out. So that's my take. You can find us at macrozinc.net. Go sign up for coaching today. Um, if you need me, email me at brad.deter at macrozinc.net. Would love some listener mail. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Peace out.